0: Uh, So buckle up and um, let's get started.
1: This is Sarah Bordeev, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. The mountain resort industry has been gathering virtually to share what we're learning and how we're overcoming obstacles during this challenging time. When planning for this winter season operators need to look at the big picture when thinking through the pinch points and challenges of the winter season ahead in order to find solutions that work on the first of this special two-part discussion we look at the planning process as well as at some actionable solutions for winter operations we'll start the discussion here with sam publisher olivia rowan thank you for joining us today on our
2: monday huddle i'm olivia rowan the publisher of sam magazine So when planning for this winter, there are essentially two viewpoints uh, needed to look from the inside view of a resort operations and the outside view of the travel consumer. And in these next two huddles, uh, today and next Monday, um, we've split it up into a part one, part two called Buckle Up, and we'll explore each viewpoint and provide actionable actionable solutions during this special two-part SAM huddle series. So today we're going to kick off part one, and joining me as a co-host is Claire Humber, who's the Director of Resort Planning at SC Group, and we have other co-hosts that we will introduce and, and special um, guest panelists that we'll introduce as we go along.
0: Thanks, Olivia. All right, so um, there are a lot of comments in the last huddle that set the tone for today's discussion. If you missed it, I really urge you to, to listen to that on the podcast. It was It was a good one. The topic was on technology, but there was this secondary thread that went through it about looking at the big picture before we make decisions, having a master plan, working through process. Um, so today we're all gonna we're gonna talk about process. Uh, we're gonna go through how to create a plan and we're gonna give some specific examples about how that may be applied to various aspects of your operations. Uh, so buckle up. And um, let's get started. So to kick things off, um, in our recent conversations with operators, we keep hearing two things over and over and over again. First is, we know we have to comply with the the regulations, but we don't want the regulators calling the shots. I'm sure each and every one of you have said this at some point, they don't understand our business. Let's not let them tell us how to run our business. The second thing is, Our teams are maxed out, they're stressed out, and in some cases, when they're working remotely, they're just out. So we need to find a simple and efficient way of figuring this all out. So our two big takeaways here. One is that we really need to understand the impact that these operational adjustments are having on our resort capacities so that we can have those proactive conversations with the regulators, and we can speak in their language. We can say, this is how many people we're going to have here, and this is why this is going to work. And then the second is we need a simple, efficient planning process. So first, let's look at the number conversation, the foundation, and then let's talk a little bit about process. So the numbers. There's a lot of conversations right now about the impacts of distancing restrictions on chairless, right? How many people can we have a chair? What about that gondola? How are you gonna use your tram? But equally, there's also tons of conversations about what are we gonna do with our food venues? What about rental shops? What about the restrooms? How are we doing ticketing? And in combination, all of these adjustments are going to affect your area's capacity. And understanding them, is a really key pivotal point of the planning process because it tells us how many guests we can accommodate throughout the day. So resort capacity is all about balance between the lifts, the train, your lodge, your F&B seating, your parking. And it's, it's really reflecting how your guest population is moving between each of these areas throughout the day. So traditionally, yesterday when we talked about resort capacity, uh, we we would typically see it be reflective of that lift capacity. That's usually the highest number. Well, terrain capacity is the way highest number, but lift capacity. And then sometimes you would have to be limited because of a lower capacity number. So, for example, if you could only get 1,000 people in your food and beverage venues, or if you could only get 1,000 people to your mountain, you can only park, shuttle, transport 1,000 people, then guess what? There's your capacity. Well, in our pandemic reality, we need to look at those limitations and say, all right, how can we rise rise the tide? Because we can't be limited by those lower numbers, because those lower numbers are getting lower. So how can we look at the upper number that's been adjusted and raise everything else up to that? Which brings us back to the planning process. So how can we create a plan, identify, manage, accomplish specific projects that allow everyone to operate for this coming season but also benefit your resort over the long term and this last point you know there's a lot of a lot of themes right that are coming out of these conversations another consistent theme that we hear over and over again is you know never let a good crisis go to waste so in that spirit we're at a moment in time to reevaluate how we did things in the past and fix things that didn't work very well make changes that can make that guest experience better and at the same time factor in some flexibility and resiliency that can protect you um, moving forward. So for a planning approach, you know we know (laughs) this is above and beyond what you would typically be doing at this time of year, right? You already have your to-do list and now there's this. So we our suggestion is break it down. Break it into a number of steps. And there's a couple of of benefits of doing this. One is it allows you to schedule shorter sessions, right? High intensity, short duration sessions that you can fit into your already clogged up schedule. The second, and this is a really important piece of, of the creative process, is it allows you for a little pause and reflect time. Allows you to walk away, think about it, consider other ideas, ponder what you might have overlooked before you commit to a plan. I'm just going to quickly walk through the first steps, so the four steps. So first step, um, you know, where you start, how did we do it before? So walk through your guest sequencing. And, you know, we've all heard um, Joe Hessian talk in the past about sort of process mapping, like walk through how your guest moves through. What spaces do they use? How are services offered, including programs? Um, and how how are these processes being communicated to guests. Keep in mind that when you're talking about that old normal, include the conversation around, Olivia mentioned special sauce, right? Like don't forget, what is it that makes you you? Why do guests choose your resort? What are your differentiators? Don't forget that as you think about the way you did things before and how you might have to change. Also keep in mind that wish list. Right? Here's the repetitive theme, never let a good crisis go to waste. Or maybe in this case, it's never let a good process go to waste. But think about those nagging issues you've always wanted to resolve um, and, and factor that into your thinking. So number two, what's changed or what's influencing change? So take how we did before, add in a little, all right, what's influencing change? And more importantly, how is this going to affect how we used to do things? So for each experience within that guest sequence, talk about those factors. It could be social distancing, it could be hygiene, it could be health scans, it could be waivers, and, and how that experience is going to have to be modified. So there's endless conversations about that moving target of regulations. So you need to play out best and worst case scenarios for all of this. But by the way, that also allows you to build in some resiliency for the coming season. Also think about those points of disagreement, and I've been hearing a lot about this in the last couple of weeks, the points of disagreement between, um, that you see your regulators already coming up with in the marketplace. <clears throat> so you can look at, you know, how are amusement parks being regulated for the summer? How are restaurants being regulated? What about summer operations? That'll give you some idea of where your regulators are coming from. And you can, you can think about that within the context of what you're trying to achieve and it'll, it'll be useful understanding when you start to talk to them about your plan. And then in, d- in addition to those regulatory issues, also think about the impediments to success, whether they're real or perceived. It could be budgeting, staffing, culture, all of the above. Keep those in mind, they're important considerations. And at the risk of getting repetitive, don't waste be crisis, make sure you're talking about what are the challenges, we faced doing it in the old way. How can we do it differently if we have to blow it up? How can we do things better? All right, the fun part. Number three, what can we do about it? So this is the brainstorming, right? This is the pla- place where you get creative and you think about you know, what can we do with all these points of modification. And we're gonna spend quite a bit of time today actually getting into this and having having some brainstorming ideas um, shared from various points of the operation. So one more time, don't let a good planning process go to waste. When When you're coming up with bids, it's not just how do we solve the problem, but how do we make it better? How can we improve the experience? How can we be more flexible and resilient moving forward? um you know this this your planning process but it also it also means you're not just just not just addressing regulations but you have a more sort of strategic useful plan and a better experience for your guests so when we think about when we think about brainstorming we think about ideas we, we tend to sort of categorize them in into sort of four parts of the response so there's react right that's that's what we're all doing right now reacting to the current current reality but also we want to keep the future in mind refine what hasn't worked all along reinvent so this is a little bit of you know defensive moves following regulations but also offensive moves to be proactive and make better improvements and then lastly renew your loyalty and your customer experience and regina and jj are going to get into this a lot more in a minute, but this is also a really great moment in time to reach people in a a really memorable way. So I know that seems a little abstract, um, but it's, it's another really helpful layer of organizing conversations, right? Like keeping it simple, keeping it organized. And it's also a really useful tool when you start to think about priorities. In the earlier, we did a huddle a couple months ago, which seems like an eternity now called Opening, and one of the things we talked about was how, you know, one of the silver linings of having a global pandemic is that there's endless ideas and inspiration to look to these days, and we really strongly recommend that you look beyond the industry. That said, don't forget the secret sauce, right? Don't forget what makes you you. There is no one-size-fits-all solution for everyone and lastly don't forget that pause and reflect um, don't get married to your first ideas don't rush the creative process give yourself a break during brainstorming for the best results all right the last piece and this is you know a little project management one-on-one and a little preaching to the choir but it's always a good reminder to end a process with an action plan for getting her done right what do you focus on and who's going to do what So once you settle on a plan, you've got to think about, all right, what are our priorities for implementation? So typically, they fall into a series of buckets. There's the must-dos, right? There's compliance, there's risk management, there's low-hanging fruit. There'll be some ideas where it's like, oh, we can just go do that tomorrow, let's do it. Um, There will be experiments when you're like, you know, this actually, don't know how this is going to go, but we think it's worth giving it a try. There are um, building blocks. Right? There are things, what could be culture, hiring, new technology that will enhance and enable key improvements for not just this season, but also moving forward. And then there's, there's new things, new offerings, strategic initiatives. And then, of course, the last, last point, build the teams, assign the tasks, set a schedule. you have an action plan to get all of this done. All right, now let's have some fun. So I'm going to introduce uh, Eric Lipton, who's the COO of Snow Operating, and Simone Paget, who's the Director of Guest Experience um, up in Canada at Les Sommets, um, which is five resorts in eastern Canada. Um, And they're going to talk a little bit about... um, Things that Simon and his team are thinking about, um, reflecting on as they're in summer operations, um, and working through their process getting ready for winter.
3: Thank you, Claire. Uh, that was fantastic. That was a, a terrific outline and um, an action item list. I think that really sets us up. So, I I think one of the one of the few points I want to highlight that you mentioned is changes that benefit your resort for the long term and. I think this is, as you said, and, and as we've said a lot on these huddles, this is an opportunity it's, and this should be the impetus to make improvements that you know you need to step into the future and, and reimagine. And uh, I've said this a few times, you don't want to just slap a COVID bandaid on your operation with the plan. Let's just get through this season and then go back to what we were doing before. That would, that would kind of be the easy way out. Um, you may identify what the future rental shop looks like. And, and, and can't fulfill that dream all at once, but, but step into the future and, and take the small steps. Don't keep pushing it off, right? I'm saying do it. And I think there's some important questions that you've got to ask yourself and your team. One, is your culture ready for change? And do you have people who are willing and able to change and do they have the skills? So you may have the plans, the dreams, but... But if you've, if you've had a stagnant culture, um, you've got to make the necessary changes within your resort and your team to be able to, to step forward and, and do things differently. Uh, and then are these changes guest experience driven? This has really got to be front and center. I, I think've we're getting a lot into um, as we think about our operations, we, we can be <clears throat> we can be a little tunnel vision and, and saying, how do we, how do we just keep the guests safe? How do we, how do we keep things working? Like, um, you know, very mechanically. And, and if we're, if, if the guest feels like we're treating them like cattle and we're saying, well, the only thing that matters is social distance and sanitation. If we do that, we've won. I think we're missing a critical piece because people are in dire need of entertainment and compassion and accommodation and fun. And, they're coming to the resort as they always have to escape from their everyday lives. And so we've got to ensure that our guest feels that in spades, uh, this season. So, uh, and then the final point that I want to highlight that Claire mentioned, which I think is spot on is not to rush the creative process, uh, encourage creativity and imagination. And, and you've got to allow time for some crazy ideas. It's, it's not often the crazy ideas that are accepted, but it's the creativity that spawns from those create, those crazy ideas that ultimately solves the problem. Okay. So with that, um, uh, Claire, thank you for introducing uh, Simone Paget or Simon, we'll call him. And uh, Simon, I want to get in and ask you a couple of questions about your operations this summer and and what you've learned. So you've, your resort, Les so may we've been proud to partner with you guys for, for many years. You guys are forward thinkers. you're very adaptable resort with a culture of continuous improvement. You're a conversion cup winner and you specifically are in uh, a recent Sami Award winner. So um, I'm excited to have this conversation. We've, we've been saying for, for uh, the, you know these huddles all along that we'll learn a lot as, a, as an industry from our summer operations. And I'd like to ask you a few questions about yours. So what have you learned thus far from your summer operations that will inform your winter planning?
4: You set the bar pretty high, Eric. Uh, Thanks a lot. Uh, Hello, everyone. Yeah, we we learned a lot of stuff. We're now in operation for uh, four weeks with uh, the main activity here at Les Sommets. It's the water park. And we also have uh, zip line courses, uh, uh, fun parks, uh, mini golf, uh, Uh, camping but the main uh, main activity is the water park and uh, what we learned from this summer it's guests are not the the traffic number of guests at the resort is not what we expect Uh, we talk a lot about uh, people's gonna get excited to to came and enjoy some good time in family after like two or three months of lockdowns and right now it's not full like people are here uh, we have a new capacity set for the summertime on the water park at 30% of our capacity, and we struggle to to have those numbers. So uh, everything's there. Uh, it's a beautiful summer outside, but it's not that crowd that we think in the capacity we need to to get this summer. So that's something pretty interesting we we learn uh, from uh, from the summer right now, for sure. Like everyone. Uh, maybe those indoors facilities is the biggest challenge in this situation because the chance we have with the water park it's it's a outside operation so everything that we could put outside we we did it like lockers are outside now all food and bev points bars everything is outside the only thing we kept inside it's the the washroom and uh just in Quebec, I don't know what's happening in different states in the United States, but in Quebec for now, 10 days, a uh, uh, mask is mandatory inside in every inside public building. So in a water park, the challenge is nobody wear a mask, and it's normal because they are in the water. Uh, but they need to have their mask to go inside the building. So it's kind of tricky. Could you just imagine... The, the the mom with the two kids arriving from a the pool, they need to go uh, quickly to the washroom and they don't have a mask. So that's a, that's a challenge. So indoor facilities for sure will be a, a biggest issue in the winter time for sure. Uh, other thing uh, we learned from the summer, staff training uh, for sure, it's always important. And I think it's gonna be next level important because it's really, really important. Everyone understand the situation we are in it. And as well in the water park, it's a little bit like uh, at the ski school at the winter time. We have a lot of young uh, lifeguards. And right now I see people under 20, 22, 24 don't seem to be really involved in the situation. They don't. So we need to train. Re- a lot of training was uh, necessary. Uh, we need to to, to to stay with them and really try to let them know the situation is, is real because... I don't feel people under 25 are really uh, upset. At, sorry, my English is, I'm struggling a little bit, but uh, I, I don't feel they, they think it's real. You know, they don't, they don't feel it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna have an impact on them. So that's something really, really important about our young employee. Uh, another thing we learned, uh, we need to be able to adapt our IT infrastructure really quickly. Like normally in the water park situation, our goals was to sell tickets to park people uh, like on the highway or at the exit. And now we have a capacity. So that's really important to be able to adapt our IT tools to manage this capacity. That's uh, that's a huge challenge. So that's something we need to, to be able to move really, really quickly. Uh, another thing we learn, and maybe you, you, you see it at your resort right now, people for, uh, we, we think for Pretty much uh, the mass of the guests, they understood that social distancing is important in the situation we are in. But to make them respect social distancing on the side, it's really, really a big challenge. People are here, they're having fun, uh, they exit from the water slide. And I don't think they do it in bad faith, but they didn't even realize. So we need to put like, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, sanitary patrol on the side to try to, to 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 stay positive and one thing we really learn about it if you try to enforce those rules and be more uh, repressive people's not collaborate about this we we try to do it more funny you know with uh, like uh, try to let them know with uh, funny signage or different sentence so you we, we try to be more in animation than Repression so that's something we we learned in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, another thing we we learn it's uh, re- staff room summertime it's pretty easy because everything's outside but at winter time uh, we have more than two thousand employees at les Sommet. so for sure right now everybody's thinking about inside building for for guests uh, for for p- people to be able to be inside uh, having dinner lunch stuff like that but Employee is going to be a big challenge as well because uh, in our facilities we have room for employee, but you know it's kind of small or not that big at a lot of place. So for for staff, that's something we need to think. It's not just guests, but uh, where we're going to put all those staff uh, safely next winter. That's really important. And uh, another thing we learned, uh, and this one's not a surprise, is uh, for sure guest experience is amazing. Because on the water park we just have 30% of capacity, so for us every day when we're maxed out, it's kind of walk walk in the park. But could you imagine for guests, no lineups, uh, they are able to do three time four time activities in a day, so they exit the resort, and we never have uh, every every time a guest are here at the resort, they receive by the next morning uh, uh, a survey, and the satisfaction is crazy high right now so people really enjoy their time because they have not that much people on the site and for sure we we surveyed them about the, the the sanitary measure we put on the site and people feel safe so we work really really hard to to to, to put all those uh, measures in place but people are really enjoying their experience because uh, it's for them it's uh, they're free on the site so that that's something really positive for for guest experience so uh, we maybe learn a lot, a lot of other stuff, but uh, let's make a, a quick tour of uh, what we operate now for uh, four weeks.
3: That's a great overview. Uh, thank you for that. You and I have chatted a lot about, and you've made incredible strides in the shifting to winter in the rental experience. Uh, you've been one of the first to go to outdoor ski and snowboard delivery, housing the equipment outside, and it's had incredible, incredibly positive effects on the rental experience for guests. Um, we chatted... Uh, recently, about you expanding that pro- uh, that program. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're thinking with regard to your rental operation for this summer, or the, excuse me, this winter?
4: Yeah, sure. So, uh, we took the decision four years ago with the crazy idea to like put all the skis and the snowboards outside. So, we, we caught up this ski box. So, uh, it's so much improved the guest experience because we at some point, we didn't realize, but when all your rental shop is crazy full on a weekend, uh, winter time, uh, it's always like a big mess because so much people, so crowd, so much noise. And we didn't even realize, but skis and snowboard, it's a big problem. You never skis of your life, could you imagine? To have the family in the lineups, they're hot inside. Uh, sometimes kids crying and at the end of the process we give them skis and snowboard and by the time they are ready to go outside of the slope the small kids uh, want to go to their washroom and you know i could give you a lot of examples so we realized why we give skis and snowboard in the building to the guests and the answer was we don't know why we do it that, that's, that's, that's really useless because they're not going to ski in the building. They're going to ski outside. So we took the decision four years ago to bring all the equipment outside at some saint and on Avila's side, and that was the best decision ever we made because we gained so much room inside the building. You reduce the noise, reduce the stress, not just on the guest side, but on the employee side as well. So for sure, uh, we are in a good shape in the COVID situation for ski and snowboard delivery outside because uh, it's, gonna, it's, uh, it's not allowing people to, to come inside to pick up their equipment. But the problem was right now in the process, they need to come in the building to check in and be boot fit. So right now, we don't know the answer. Maybe I'm going to learn a lot of uh, great stuff today. Uh, we start to think, how could we have people outside for the boot fitting? And it's a challenge. And especially, I don't know if some of you came in Quebec, but in Quebec, It's kind of pretty cold. It's it's really really cold uh, during uh, winter time. So uh, right now we start to think how could we keep guests outside. So first thing uh, we try to separate never ever's and occasional because uh, for sure if we are able to bring some guests inside the building, we'll try to focus on the never ever's because those guests need more time and attention about boot fitting and you know it's the first time they practice the sport. So. We'll see how we're going to manage this capacity. Uh, maybe it's going to be with, with uh, only online purchase with a specific time, uh, arrival time. But the w- w- one thing we're working right now for occasional people, people ski one, two, three times a year and rent, rent skis. So we think about putting in place like a delivery boot at the car. So the guests arrive in the parking, we'll have maybe a team uh, outside uh, with different containers and boot in it, it's like a, and really like like a drive-through for 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 ski boots. And uh, also another thing, we think maybe to have containers or other facilities in the parking lot, like with the eated zone. Try to eat some because boots need to be warm, and uh, uh, the guests could show up at this eating zone and like in the minute or two minutes, put their boots and go out. We'll really try to because I don't know. Uh, what's the, the trend in your at your resort, but in Quebec, I don't know why a lot of people in their mind, when you arrive at the resort, you need to go inside the building to put your boot. You're not gonna see a lot of people put their boot at their car. Okay, it's pretty cool, maybe it's one of the reasons, but we need to change this. Like next winter is gonna be put your boot at your car because we're not gonna be allowed to have those much people in the building. But we don't know yet, we, we assume this. So, uh, right now, the two ideas on the table will be the heated parking zone for boot fitting or uh, drive-through delivery boot at the car. So, we try to – it's not easy, but uh, that's something we're we, we thinking uh, right now to try to make the, the process. And right now, like Eric talked uh, at the beginning, I think this process for me, I don't feel it's a process we want to put in place for COVID. I think it's try it's a test for future because as much as we could keep people outside the building why they need to come inside so right now in this idea people could arrive could pick up their box or we could deliver their, their boots at, at their car and uh, they, they they are ready to go and uh, they just go to the ski box and pick up their skis and they're ready for a nice ski day and as well People uh, bought their ticket online so they could pick up uh, their, their ticket at the pickup box or so no reason to go inside the building for those guests. So it seems to be easy when we just talk about it to put in place. It's not that easy, but uh, that's something we think about it for rental process uh, next season.
0: That's fabulous. There's so much there's so much good stuff in that in in, in the basic reevaluating what has to be inside. Right, like there's a lot of things that you can sort of think about there. um, That, as you pointed out, it's not just a COVID situation. I mean, we all know the cost per square footage of indoor space. Like to be able to get really creative, and keep that to highest and best use. Another thing I think is really interesting about that too, Samil, is uh, you're thinking around addressing people from the perspective of where they're coming from. Like beginner, obviously, beginners, first timers, new people need more attention. And maybe this is a moment in time to appeal to your loyalists, appeal to your seasoned pass holders, appeal to people who are more advanced users to change their habits, to help you out so that you can, right, so that you can use the highest and best use of all of your facilities. All right, Olivia, what are we going to talk about next?
2: Um, So we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit here. Now we're going to work with our second co-host, John Ashworth, who's principal at Bull Stockwell Allen, and he's going to take us through our next segment called Food for Thought. Super excited. He's got some really interesting schematics to show everybody with some great um, possibilities. Um, just wanted to note, in, in a previous huddle, we talked with leaders of other industries and to see what strategies that they were coming up with to get open. And I checked back with some of these folks to uh, and got them to and somewhere from the restaurant industry just to have them share some updated thoughts on what they're seeing you know for creative ideas and they said to pass along some of a couple of these ideas you know one was to work with uh if if f and b is is a really hard proposition your small resort your, your system's antiquated to be able to try and handle the technology piece the space and all of that um is to work with your local uh, community restaurants. And in the winter, they won't be able to have the outdoor option. They'll be looking for a way to stay in business. So there may be ways to collaborate with them coming up and supplying that um, to go food option uh, in the parking lot or or wherever you can have them go. So that was a way to work with your your community. Um, The other was to sell shorter ski blocks of time. This has been discussed quite a bit, You know these four hour blocks. And combine it with a to-go uh, food package that you take on the car ride home. You know, it's like the waffle to-go that I do with my kids. But this time, you could do it as a family um, to go for four. They suggested a chicken Alfredo, enough for four people, for what it would cost three people to go to a restaurant. And after a long day of skiing, no one, no family feels like coming home and cooking. So you know, we're all doing to-go items now. We're all getting these great little to-go meals, you know, to help the restaurants out. So, you know, this was also an idea to use your F&B, but have it be something that they don't have to eat on site, but they could take in the car or prepare at home. Uh, and they suggested getting creative with the packaging, call them quarantine kits, lockdown lunches, put special notes in them as a way to just, you know, create a little more experience, you know, customer experience, um, your special sauce that Claire mentioned. and. Um branded sauces. They said they're having a huge surge in, in restaurants and other establishments coming up with their own branded sauces, drinks, um, that you know, people will, will buy. And, and then of course the branded packaging, you can get real creative with that. Um, and then their final thought was with any of these ideas or some of the ones that John will cover is to add a donation of a meal um, to first responders as part of whatever they're spending with you, whether it's a to-go family four pack, take home with them, that you will also, you know, make a donation to first responders That then it just creates that whole uh, feel good experience. So those are just a few uh, ideas that this other restaurant industry folks had uh, that were on previous huddles shared with with me this past week. So um, on that thought, um, there's one thing when we were talking with John and Claire and everybody preparing for this huddle. And there was, uh, when I visited Le Massif, Um, and got to know the folks there, they had this really creative um, fondue in a gondola ride. And and it was this fantastic thing where you, you're loaded up on the gondola with a quick little to go tin of fondue and everything's all packaged in this cute little basket thing. And you ride the gondola up and you have a quick fondue party. And so we were just saying, you know, there's all kinds of creative ways that, um, you know, that you can, Bring a little f and d experience and have that special um sauce that keeps it unique and adds to the guest experience you know that that is a a fondue experience and i think john's going to take us through some fond here um and uh john I'll, I'll toss it off to you
5: okay <clears throat> thank you so much olivia um but this is obviously called buckle up this session and you know a ride can be kind of scary and it can kind of be bumpy, you know, fasten your seatbelts it's going to be a bumpy ride, or it can be a lot of fun. It can really represent an experience of a lifetime. So we did want to kind of begin to kind of brainstorm and really share some concrete ideas that, that start to get at not only kind of what do we do, but really kind of begin to brainstorm about how do we do it? How do we get certain things done? Because as Olivia mentioned, there's some really amazing ideas out there, like turning your gondola into a, a restaurant, a moving restaurant. You've already dealt with the social uh, distancing issues. So you know is there a fun way you can basically take what you guys have at the resorts in terms of incredible outdoor spaces and incredible environments, and really do something that not only might be for this coming season, but might be for the future as well. So buckle up. So we did want to say, you know, fondue is a great idea for now, maybe social distancing. It's not so great because I think if you could drop this fondue. You're supposed to kiss the person next to you. And that might not be cool from, a, um, from in this day and age. But, you know, it's a clever and creative way of saying, how can we use our infrastructure and technology to basically create a moving restaurant?
1: At this point in the conversation, John dives into creative ways to host guests in pop-up scenarios for warming and F&B. His presentation, along with more in-depth ideas, will be published in the September issue of Sam Magazine. Learn more at saminfo.com slash subscribe.
5: So I'd like to kind of introduce a couple of folks from Boeing who are looking at how they are attacking um, the food and beverage question. And um, so let me go ahead and introduce uh, Mike Unruh. He's the Senior VP of Mountain Operations for Boeing Resorts. And he's going to be joined by Brad Keen, who is a Senior VP of Food and Beverage. So let's let them um, tell us a little bit how they're tackling. I think some of the key questions we have is really, you know, how is Boeing, for example, tackling issues related to capacity, utilization, you know, number of, how do you just serve uh, the folks, number of seats, social distancing, flexibility, technology, et cetera. So lots of questions for, uh, for these folks.
6: Uh, Mike, take it away. John, thanks very much um, and that's yourself. the question of, of the day and, and of the season and you know coming all the way back to what Claire was saying is how do we figure out what capacity is um, at all of our different resorts and how do we decide how do we help not be shoehorned into capacity by local and, and state governments. So um First things first, we wanted to come up with a plan that was flexible, that we could hand off to our individual resorts and then let them customize those plans to fit their own unique identities and, uh, and operations and footprints. So the igloo is, is one idea um, that we have looked at. Obviously this is a very flexible, we've talked about even putting these on pallets that could be picked up by a skid steer or something and moved around and shuffled. Um, We've talked about sprung structures or or fabric structures. Those are a little bit more space consuming. Um, However, they do have some more modernization. Um, You know, we've been talking with John and his team about designing plans for making those heated trying to do some air exchange as we continue to learn more that those heating and ventilation systems can both spread and or mitigate the virus transmission. Um, But really it's all about how can we create something that is flexible and adaptable to potentially ever-changing capacity restrictions. Um, Obviously location is very important when we talk about serving people food the location of that's available from a footprint standpoint may not be near enough to the actual preparation site. So how do we manage that and what structure is best suited to that combination? Um, we're also like, it has been talked, we've looked at restrooms and we're working with John to, Design some sprung structures that can be converted into restrooms because we anticipate that being a pinch point. But it's really all about having flexibility in these structures and finding the right size and and location. Right now, we're thinking the right sizes in that 3,000 to 4,000 foot range um, that gives us the ability to spread people out, do several turns, um, and adapt to whatever restrictions either we ourselves or local governments put on us. Um, So I think one of the interesting things that was
5: interesting as you began to think about sprung structures is you're you're thinking multiple sizes, right? You could be able to kind of use multiple sizes and then the idea is to deploy them at various resorts. Maybe you could talk about that just a little bit. And- yeah.
6: So, and we're even looking at more than just sprung structure. So when we look across our resorts, for instance, we have some resorts that have a large amount of meeting and convention space. If we try to anticipate what operations are going to look like, we anticipate that we may not have the convention business that we've had in the past. So how can we flex convention space? And turn those meeting rooms into remote dining rooms. We've even talked about potentially using hotel rooms. But uh, as it relates to the sprung structures, it's everything from parking lots to base areas um, to potentially, if we have employee spaces that are in day lodges adjacent to food and beverage preparation, we have explored maybe moving that employee space out of that building and into a fabric heated sprung structure so that we can then maximize that formerly employee space right into a food and beverage space and i thought it was interesting too because as i understand your intent
5: is to create um prototypes that then you could be able to kind of you know have a, a bathroom module you could have a dining module and those could be also scaled from an investment standpoint in order to maximize investment. So you could put one in Brighton, you could, you know, do something similar at Loon, something else, which I think has a really interesting um, point of view related to scalability. Um,
6: And then as we've talked about technology, we believe is going to be very important figuring out how we can serve these people, how we can manage ordering, how we can manage food delivery, etc. And for that, I'd like to introduce Brad, our SVP of Food and Beverage. Um, Brad is much more knowledgeable on how we're going to handle that back of house and service standpoint.
7: I'll, I'll, I'll jump right into it. We had a lot of time to think about this over the course of the spring, starting about March 15th. And and what we what we we're actually led into is that technology is going to is going to be what really saves us. We put a we uh, we, we had our CEO president and CEO um, committed to quite a bit of money for us to change our point of sale system for food and beverage, and it, it's going to have a really big e commerce platform that so so people can order to go food from wherever they are, if they're on a lift they can get on the app. They can order food, pay for it. Uh, the system will tell them where they can pick up their food and at what time. And it's intuitive with the algorithms of, of how many orders are in the system at one time. We'll tell them how long it takes. So maybe a cheeseburger at 10 o'clock in the morning, they can pick it up in 11 minutes. And at 12:15, it might be 35 minutes before they can get through or pick up their food. Also, we, um, we're, we're leaning on the QR codes. And, and so when we lead into sprung structures, what we're in, in fabric buildings like tents, we're not going to make them restaurants with kitchens. We're going to make them warming houses or dining rooms where people can take their to-go food and carry it in there. Or in some, in, in some resorts, we're gonna be able to deliver it to them where they can, uh, our guests will be able to go, the skiers can go in, they can sit at a table, there's a QR code on the table. They scan the QR code with their phone. It opens up the menu of the restaurant that, we, that we've that we decided is going to be able to be the closest in proximity or cafeteria or food hall. They can order their food. They'll, they'll be able to pay for it again. And then when it prints into the kitchen, we're gonna have a, a, a team of people that are gonna be building these to-go orders to get them delivered. We've already started that. We've converted our summer resorts hotels anything that was room service was converted to to-go food and so we have the same packaging for everything now so it's already starting to we're starting to work the kinks out of that um, it, it's, it's going to be tough the only thing that we're concerned about not the only thing but one of the things we're really concerned about in our food courts and food halls is all the grab-and-go opportunities there's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in Snickers bars and little bags of chips and stuff for kids that they grab as they're, as they're going through the, the register. So we're, we're talking right now about maybe there's a kiosk in each one of these um, external locations, like a, like a yurt or, or a sprung structure that will have some kind of a grab and go situation there that people can come up and grab a few things that they want or maybe some beverages and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think that it's a multi-pronged attack we're going to limit obviously to whatever the state guidelines are at whatever resort we're talking about on how many people can be in. And most of our resorts, we're going to try to keep the cafeteria or the food hall or the food court to remain open. So we can, we can still feed people through that. And then we'll also in the back of the line, we'll have the to go food going and we're going to limit our, we're going to lower our SKUs on on how many menu items because there's a lot of things that we have that just can't be packaged up to go that's gonna work. As Mike indicated, our summer resorts also have, in the hotels, we have a lot of banquet and catering space that's gonna go unused, so we're gonna use those as well. And and we're talking about where do, where do the employees eat now? You know, most of our resorts aren't large resorts, there's not employee dining rooms, places for them to go, so we're gonna dedicate either yurts or sprung structures, or or a, a ballroom, or a meeting room, where the employees can go, and um, and and get away from the crowd and not go in there because we're already limited how many people can be inside anyway, and be able to have their lunch. One of the things I grabbed right away, when when the when the um, meeting opened, was never waste a good crisis, and that is so true. When, when you look at things like camping out, put your boots on in the parking lot, we're not gonna let anyone carry in their ski bags or their crock pots into these buildings and camp out. They they just can't, we're, we're, we're gonna be limited on space. And what's gonna happen is I think that when we get through this crisis that we're all in, I think that it's gonna be an opportunity for us to hold our ground on how many people to try to camp out in these areas where we where we can't turn tables anymore? So that's another another opportunity for us.
5: Brad, those are super helpful. I think concrete um, you know insights and things that you that Boyne is doing to tackle some of those capacity issues and, and being flexible with your kitchens and, and different. You know, I like the idea of a multi pronged strategy.
1: We'll dive back into the conversation after this message from our partner Blackstrap. Mask Up has a whole new meaning, and Blackstrap has you covered with new public safety face masks. The civil mask is lightweight, machine washable, fully customizable, and made in the USA. For every civil mask sold, Blackstrap is donating proceeds to agencies and individuals in need across the U.S. and have donated and delivered more than 40,000 masks to date. As the leading USA-made face mask company, Blackstrap has you, your employees, and your customers covered. www.bsbrand.com
2: so our third and final segment, we are um, talking about guest communications, because with all of these ideas, you know, we need to communicate and um, do it with the, you know, the COVID lens, but keeping it light and playful at the same time. And and uh, as Simone had pointed out, um, and so our co-host for this segment is Regina Connell, the director of laboratory which is a new studio within both rockwell allen that's going to be focusing specifically on brand strategy experience and joining her is jj uh Tallinn with uh, who is the director of communications and events at Jay Peak. so regina um take us through this final segment and how this sort of closes the loop of of um our talk today
8: thanks a lot olivia that was great and um there've been some amazing, amazing ideas. And one of the, uh, one of the ones that I really of course embraced, um, early on was for, with Eric talking about how, you know, the importance of the, of the guest and really starting with them, what is their experience? And what I'm really interested in as well, what we've been digging into a lot is what's been happening with them, um, as they've been kind of navigating life since March, basically. And it's just been such an interesting, kind of almost, um, kind of experiment with consumer psychology to see what's been going on. And obviously that very, very much impacts what you do and how you do it between now and winter. Um, So, you know, three big changes coming out of COVID really obviously are, you know, the lack of, you know, the lack of destination travel. And so very much the need for um, local and regional focus. Uh, number two is um, new ways of living, Whether, and that's not just work, but that's school as well. I mean, that is kids are not going to go back to school in the fall. Um, Google just announced today that they are not going to be requiring employees to come back to work until at least the summer of 2021. So that, that's a good long time that people would, will have been living differently, and how will that affect what they do? Um, and then finally, as I was starting out to talk about, you know, there's just this whole issue of consumer psychology and what's been going on. And, you know, what's, what's been really interesting about the research is that people started out by saying, well, you know, they wanted to travel or they wanted to gather with people um, as soon as they could. And then that shifted to, well, I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, after there's a vaccine, and then it's been continuing to shift beyond that to, well, actually, I don't really know when I'm going to feel safe and comfortable to be interacting with people. And obviously a great deal has to do with the way we've been, you know, at least in this country, we've been dealing with um, kind of the public health crisis, but, uh, you know, also with, with the reopenings and things like that. So there's a whole lot um, that's going on there. Um, so what does this mean? Well. For operators and for um, for hospitality in general, because I do track hospitality in general, not just in ski areas. Um, I think it's it's very very much about kind of almost rethinking Maslow's hierarchy. And so for a long time, travel has always been kind of stuff at the top of the pyramid, where you know it's about self actualization and it's about you know, expansion and all of that kind of stuff. And now we're all, as we all know, back into kind of worrying about things that are at the bottom, which is safety, the concern about sanitation, the increased concern with, um, you know, consumer concern around fragility of their own bodies, of their communities of their economies. And so that's, that's really um, important to key in on and, and obviously much of hospitality has been very, very focused on that. Um, but then moving beyond that, there are two other kind of things to to really, really pay attention to. And one is what's in the middle of that hierarchy, which is very much that issue of of connection. And how do you create connection? Connection is so important to the sense of human safety and, and human happiness. And how do you create that in a time when we're all dealing with this whole idea of social distancing. And so that's obviously something very, very important to kind of track. And then finally there, there is back at the top of the pyramid, but I think what's been interesting again, and in looking and tracking consumer behavior has been that it's less about, Oh, I want to be all that I can be, but it's, what is purpose? What, what is the effect that I can have on society? How can I transform? How can this be an investment in, um, in the world, in, in myself, in the world, as opposed to just an indulgence, not just escapism, um, not just indulgence but actual transformation, and so those are some of the things that you know that we 've been really tracking so obviously, coming out of it in terms of what what needs to happen, you know there's very much this issue of kind of building up trust and safety now, we talked about sanitation ad nauseam. But I think that one of the other things that's happening is that as people start to navigate space and and go through space, um, they're really, really struggling with, well, how am I supposed to do this? Um, What's open? What's not? And all of these concerns actually track into that issue of psychological safety. We've been running some pulse surveys um, with people who have been actually traveling in the last few months. Uh, again, not, not to the resort environments, but you know, in, in a range of kind of hotels from boutique to kind of the, the big ones, and just trying to kind of understand what their experience has been and how it's affected their, their sense of safety and and, um, and trust. And it's been very, very interesting. I mean, people have been you know grateful that the hotels have been open, but what they've generally found is such a breakdown in understanding what's open, what's not, the staff is not communicating, there's no signage, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, that really has kind of affected them more than pretty much anything else. They've all been, as, as Simon was talking about and with his um, customer surveys, delighted with the fact that they're now suddenly at a very empty resort where everybody's, or a hotel where everybody's very, very excited to pay attention to them. But at the end of the day, there is a sense of dislocation that they really need to kind of work on and uh, to manage. Um, secondly, in terms of, you know, the rebuilding connection, that is something that primarily hospitality has actually just not done generally a good job of dealing with. And we'll, we'll kind of work through some ideas for that. Um, and finally, this um, demonstration of purpose has been very, very spotty in terms of kind of connection with community um, and just, you know, this bigger sense of how hotels and hospitality are delivering Um, real value and kind of transformed value to their guests and so these are some of the changes that we're seeing on the on the consumer side and the guest and consumer side of the, the equation and you know just now how do you deal with that well there's so many of the things that we've been talking about today have really start to kind of address those issues whether it's John's ideas on how to kind of re-energize the F&B experience um, or you know the things that we were talking about earlier with with Simone Um, but um, you know just moving to the communication side um, we really have seen such shall we say, it's a target-rich environment. Um, There's a lot of people, there's a lot of hospitality, as I said, who has not been doing it well. And um, they've not built trust very well. They've not been terribly transparent. There's been this over-focus on sanitation. Um, and, um, And then there's been this, oh, come back, it's gonna be the same as it ever was. And guess what, it's not. And so um, that there have been so many kind of missteps there in terms of the communication side. But, you know, what's been interesting is um, kind of what JP has been doing, um, which is such a standout in terms of great communication and um, in terms of that. And so I wanted to kind of bring on JJ to kind of talk a little bit about his process.
1: Want to check out Jay Peak's messaging, download the image at www.saminfo.com slash huddle.
8: So, Why I'm so in love with this, JJ, is just that it's, it's, first of all, it's a great, it's great. I mean, it's very much follows the, you know, your brand and and the energy and the freshness that, that you all bring to it. Um, and I just, I think that's awesome. So props to you. Um, and second, secondly, um, you know, I just love the tone of voice in this. I mean, just, just like pants, we aren't demanding you wear them, but it certainly makes everyone around you feel more comfortable. Well, I love that. It's not all like doom and gloom and and terrible, you know, kind of, you know, you're going to get sick. Other people are going to make you sick. So, I mean, tell me, you know, how you approach this and what you were thinking about in terms of kind of tone and content.
9: Um, I mean the tone from the get-go um, has always been to kind of mitigate you know to your point everybody has heard the doom and gloom messaging and <clears throat> for the first hundred days of this that's all it's been like we're in this together um, you know all the buzz phrases that came out of it and where we started to kind of fine-tune it is that message of safety and fear um, that people have been feeling, but also becoming weary of and folding that into how we speak to ourselves and to our guests and what that looks like within, you know, the Jay Peak skin, so to speak. So that's kind of, you know, this is an example of where we're going with that.
8: Yeah. And I mean, not that this, um, I mean, how is this kind of, well, how have you seen your guests, um, feel about the experience that you've been delivering this summer as well?
9: Um, overall, the guest experience and guest feedback has been positive. You know, Vermont has assumed a very um, conservative stance in terms of how they're um, turning different sectors back on. And the travel and tourism sector, you know, we were told right from the get-go was going to be the last one to come back full board. So it's been very slow, but it's been very deliberate as well. So the, you know, our focus has been, you know, first and foremost, with our employees, and you know, making them feel safe because, you know, they're going to be doing the heaviest lifting when all this comes back. And now, how we, you know, phase that on—we don't have sector-specific guidance for winter yet, but um, that's with the this whole platform of the reactivation teams. That's what we're starting to look like look at right now.
8: Oh, that's awesome. Um, And how are you starting to think about your communications for winter? I mean, this is a question that always comes up because people are very kind of fixated on and for, you know, for for good cause on, gee, if we over communicate and we sell too much, then that's going to be a problem because we don't know what we're really selling at this point. So how are you thinking about that in terms of frequency and content? Um,
9: We're thinking of it strictly through the lens of confidence, basically, both confidence, You know, instilling that with our employees that we're going to keep them safe and confidence in our guests that we will have a safe environment for them. But in terms of your, you know, your question of frequency um, and how you talk to them, it is really kind of dialing the message in of um, the safety message, but not constantly hammering that doom and gloom, just instilling in them that they know they're going to be safe when they get here and not having that in their face necessarily. Just that nuance of you know, not having it in their face, but they know inherently, because you've communicated to them in such a way that they know they're gonna be safe when they get the JP.
8: I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that, that you know, where I would kind of come out on kind of, you know, kind of threading that needle between um, you know, around communication and things like that is, is just basically what you guys are doing, which is absolutely focusing on trust, which is really at the end of the day about focusing on, you know, what's known as brand marketing versus growth marketing, growth being kind of very sales oriented and, you know, discounts and all that other kind of stuff. And, and um, brand marketing being very much about telling your story, about building trust and confidence about really, really creating that connection with your guest, And so I think you guys have done a great job. And I think that if you look at um, what other people have done, they've done, a, you know, the, the ones who've done it well in the hospitality industry have been more focused on brand as opposed to kind of sales. Um, and not just, not just brand is around, hi, you know, oh, remember what a great picture, you know, what a great time you had, but really brand in terms of what are the deeper things that we've, we've really kind of focused on. Um, I think just a couple more things really, really quickly. Um, I think one of the things that I've been seeing as well is kind of the need to really rebuild connection with people and not just focus on place, but really f- try to create connections between people who are um, very much um, going to be you know, disconnected with each other. And I think a perfect opportunity to do that is digital. And finally, um, just making sure that whatever it is that you're delivering is useful.
1: This is just part one of this conversation. Next time, we'll chat with the Insights Collective about adapting to evolving consumer trends and behaviors and moving smoothly from well-laid plans to managing new realities. If you'd like to join the Huddle conversation, email huddle at saminfo.com. Like the sound of the Blackstrap civil masks? We've got you covered. Subscribe or renew your subscription to Sam Magazine by August 15th and you'll receive a free mask, compliments of the folks over at Blackstrap www.saminfo.com slash subscribe Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder The PodSAM Advisor's Alex Kaufman The Winter Mix Podcast Guy I am Sarah Bordaev and thank you for listening to PodSAM